Did we all read the same book, by the way? Yes. There are like a million goosebumps. <laughs> if we didn't, it's okay because the whole goosebumps. Oh, so I think they're they're about the. This is my first just... goosebumps, but yeah, just the the vibe I get is that they all have similar spooky feelings. <laughs> 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 they don't deviate from that theme. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all all spooky. Yeah, pretty formulaic in a lot of ways. Okay, this is Burn This Book, a banned books book club where we, Nicole and Eden, read a banned or challenged book twice a month and discuss its meaning, impact, and censorship to make it more accessible for all readers. This week's book is Goosebumps, and we read the first one, Welcome to Dead House, by R.L. Stein which was first published in 1992. Join us. Joining us today is Sam Moynihan from, wait, where are you from, Sam? Uh, I'm from Southwest Texas. What? Okay, we're going to talk about that. Sam, will you tell us about yourself and your connection to this series? Um, I'm Sam, from Southwest Texas. Um, <laughs> main connection is that I read all these as a young person. Um, I'm a little bit of a horror fan. Um, and this was, I think, my first introduction as a child to the horror genre how old were you when you started reading them um i want to say like second or third grade age appropriate target <laughs> the target audience we'll get deeper into that second grade sam in a moment um so we read the first book and um we can give like a brief summary of it mm-hmm. honestly it's just a family they moved to a new town and in that town, it's like there's creepy vibes. During that time, they discover, spoiler alert, that the town is a town of the living dead from a chemical, uh, like a plastics factory went bad and the chemical spread through the town and killed everybody. And um, so all of the current residents are actually dead people. And the kids realize this and the residents kill their dog, I think in order to eat the new flesh to be able to live in the real world during the day. It's kind of a uh, beetle juicy energy for me, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole family ends up ex- escaping. The kids definitely save the parents and it feels like the parents were unaware of all of it. Um, in a ver- No, they weren't. They were aware. They were aware at the end when they went yeah. to like the party and that was when the adult dead people were going to <laughs> sacrifice the adult living people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then it just ends and the family sees a new family moving into that house. And they're like, not our problem. (laughs) 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 Which was pretty fun. I mean, those are boundaries. Um, You didn't have a savior (laughs) complex by any means. But yeah, Um, were were there any consequences? Because didn't most of the living dead die again? Yeah. They came back to life. Did they come they back to miss, life? After? They think Mr. Dawes, the real estate oh, they saw agent, him. They, they saw, saw him, him at the end. So I think they just keep popping back in. My my favorite part was uh, when one of the little kid living dead was dying again, and essentially she did like a thank you, and <laughs> 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 she melted away. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it was a fun read for me as an adult. I think as a second grader, I would have been spooked. But yeah. I was such, but I was like very judgy. So Sam, if you'd been in my class, 
Um, I remember going to like library class trips and like the kid, the boys would like grab goosebumps and I'd be like, mm, nerds. And I'd be grabbing like little women thinking I was like all mature and stuff like that. So goosebumps was like always the the sign of like, the weird kids in the class, even though it totally wasn't because I ended up having a huge crush on one of those kids for like the rest of my life. So, um, but like, I just remember being so judgmental of the Goosebumps crew because that was always the section of the library that they would go to. And now I'm realizing, I think I would have actually had a really good time with them if I'd given them a chance. Yeah. just It was, uh, it was a fun read. Explain yourself, Sam. I'm sorry. Yeah. Explain yourself, <laughs> Goosebumps uh-huh. kid. <laughs> I resisted them for a long time. I was similar in the who needs that, you know, those colorful colors. I'm going to read something serious, like great illustrated classics, Moby Dick, all hundred pages of it. Um, And then there was one that uh, I think my older brother had, Night of the Living Dummy, I think the third one. And I was terrified of it. The cub, I hadn't even read it yet. It just had that menacing little ventriloquist dummy, slappy. Yeah, ew. Uh, and then eventually I got around to reading it, and I was horrified and thoroughly entertained, chilled even. <laughs> and I was like, well, I've got to keep reading these. You know, i got to get more of them. Uh, <laughs> so that was, the, that was the draw in, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I worked my way through quite a few, but I don't remember most of them. Because... Right gone like all childhood memories yeah. <laughs> like the living dead children um it just poofed yeah. your memories um, just go thank you <laughs> fade into the background <laughs> <laughs> that's so cute um we were talking before we started i don't know i don't know how i'm gonna edit this but we we're just talking about how they're each very formulaic and so it would make sense that you didn't remember each specific plot but uh, yeah, very formulaic and very much like the whole thing was just these kids overcome evil with their wit and their intelligence. And um, it was interesting to me because R.L. Stein, when you learn about him, he uh, he has a quote and I will find a direct, an actual article where he quotes it so you guys can reference this. Um, where he explains that he didn't write any, like there, there was no point in writing morals in his books. Like he didn't write to present a morality of any sort. He just wrote to have, like to help kids love reading. And I think he meets that point. I really like that. There's no self-importance there. He was like very aware of like, yeah, I just write books that are fun. That's it. So. Yeah. Very, very pulpy in like this possible way. Yes. Yes, even the covers. That's really what Freak meant was the covers, like you described. Yeah, like the dripping goosebumps logo, or I don't know if that's what we call logo. I don't know. Design things. But the drippiness was like always just so gross to me. It really, ugh. Yeah. I remember seeing trailers for that one goosebumps. So this is my first time reading goosebumps because I was a coward as a child. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but more on that Love later, it. because I did watch a lot of like Cartoon Network, Grim Adventures of uh, Billy and Mandy and Courage the Cowardly Dog. Oh, I couldn't watch that stuff. That was way too scary. Courage, I actually had to stop watching because there was one episode that freaked me out so bad. I, yeah, I just stopped watching it. Okay. Sam, yeah. does it, does Courage take place in, well, does Courage in general, does Courage <laughs> the Cowardly Dog take place in Southwest Texas? I've always wondered. 
I don't think so. Uh, it looks more like the Great Plains, which would be like North Texas, if it were oh. in the great state. Uh, the great but, state? Uh, I think canonically, it just takes place in like nowhere. Like there's the house oh. and then outside of it, it's just like wasteland. Oh. It's oh, been theorized that it's supposed to be from like Courage's point of view as like a small dog. Like he just has his house and then everything else just doesn't exist. Oh, that's that really cute. Reddit fan theories. Wow, so you're a big Courage the Cowardly Dog fan. I liked anything that was spooky as a kid. I felt like it was hard to find good spooky content when I was young. <laughs> oh, all the spooky stuff that I consumed as a child stick with me. So like, yeah, I never read Goosebumps, um, but the there were trailers for that one. I think it was a TV movie where the girl puts on a mask and she can't take it off. Um, That one freaked me out. I remember there was like Halloween Town from um, Disney Channel. Mm -hmm. That spooked me as well. There's just a lot of spooky stuff around Halloween time. Yeah. There was Halloween Town 2. Calabar's Revenge. (laughs) Halloween Town 3. Return to Halloween Town. (laughs) Debbie Reynolds' <laughs> finest work, honestly. <laughs> I didn't really do a lot of spooky stuff either. They're like the spookiest would be Pee Wee Herman's Great Adventure, R.I.P. Paul Rubens. When um he there he's in the the semi truck with the truck driver, and she's like, Wah! "Do you guys know that part? That was so terrifying to me. It was the animation was very eighties, so it was like just like claymation of like her eyes popping out." But I remember just being like, that was too far. Too far, Pee <laughs> Herman. So I, I couldn't handle any of that stuff either. But the thing was, is like, no one was forcing me to handle them. Yeah. <laughs> like, we didn't go to the library and they're like, you have to read this. But I think the Sam Moynihan's of the world were happy to get that option. And I was happy to get the option to read what I wanted to read. So uh, just bringing it back to that old, don't ban books. Each different sh- strokes for different folks. Yeah, but yeah, you didn't get yeah. spooked easily, I guess. What were you? I I feel like you were going to say well, something I don't else. Know about I I got very spooked, but I think that's like part yeah. of the fun. You know? Uh, okay, so people I was like also being spooked. Kind of a coward. Yeah, yeah, I think that's. I think it's like a adrenaline sort of a rush, or like getting on like a roller coaster sort of a thing. Yeah, and Did then also. Leave? Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think also some of it is like catharsis of like trying to deal with your anxieties and giving you something to be like actually afraid of as opposed to just stewing in your own anxiety and neurosis. Yeah. Yeah. And it provides a good closure at the end of each story, which I bet is a little therapeutic, a little release. Yeah. Especially the way that R.L. Stein does it. There's always like a solid resolution where they Mm -hmm. get away. Yeah. Do you have a, so you say you're a horror fan now. Um, what is some of your favorites now? Um, I think my all-time favorite might be uh, um, Suspiria from 1977. I think somewhere in there by Dario Argento. Any Italian horror movie is a pretty fun time uh, just because they're kind of over the top typically. Um. I like a lot of slasher movies. I'm most afraid of any sort of ghost or demon movie. That's just the one that 
hits me the hardest. Um, but yeah, I, I like most most movies. Broadly. Awesome. Broadly. Yeah. <laughs> I can't That's do my hot movies. take for this podcast is movies are okay. <laughs> I can't do horror movies, but I uh within the last couple years I started reading Stephen King. Mm. Um and so Greg and I we listened to The Shining together. He said the the first time he read The Shining when he was 16 years old and when it got to like the really spooky part of it he remembers as a 16 year old pulling the covers over his head even though he was listening to it on audible so like it's still in his ears but he just like needed to protect himself so he just hid under the covers oh my gosh (laughs) and I remember getting to that part uh when we when we listened to to it together and just like my heart racing (laughs) even though like yeah, I didn't want to see any images. I never want to see the Shining movie, but yeah, just the the emotions that it puts you through is is it is like a roller coaster ride. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of the anticipation is like, how am I gonna survive this? Like, <laughs> what's interesting yeah. is I'd rather watch the movie than read the book because the movie and I saw this um like this TikTok thing and it was this mom who was like. I had a rule growing up that for that my mom gave me and I gave it to my kids where it they can <clears throat> they can't watch anything like they can't watch all the R-rated movies or PG-13 movies at young ages but they can read it like if so if, like they wanted to see Mr. and Mrs. Smith back when that had come out I don't know why that's the example I'm using right now <laughs> but if they wanted to see that um they couldn't if they weren't like of the age that it was deemed appropriate for um but they could read it and a lot of people are like, that's so brilliant. That's so great. Because their argument is like, your imagination only goes too far, goes so far as a kid. So they could be explaining something very graphic. But if you don't have the comprehension for that situation, your imagination will only go so far. And maybe that's true. I don't know. But reading, like I read um, it. I started reading it um, by Stephen King. And it was not, not Mr. and Mrs. Smith but it it was it was like fine reading it but then I'd have night terrors that I just didn't know was gonna happen like I'd go to sleep and it'd be awful and then I'd go back to reading it and I'd be like this is a sociological study um and then (laughs) night terrors and so I had to stop because it was like they just wouldn't stop but like I feel like I could see the movie and it ends faster (laughs) whereas the book I'm ruminating on more um and so that's also something I want to bring up is like they made a lot of TV, made for TV things about Goosebumps and also about, uh, and they've also made tons of movies. And Earl Stein just seems like such a cutie pie because he was involved. He'd like play the professor or the teacher in the old movies. And then Jack Black has been in the most recent movies that have come out in the 2010s. Um there's a TV show that's coming out on Netflix. It's like premiering October 15th. So for Goosebumps, so like there's, I think October 15th. Let me double check that. So it's just, they've like, they've, it's been a perfect medium or a perfect uh, formula to have for books and for TV. And I'm just curious, you have a child, Eden. Do you think you're going to let Mabel read or watch them? 
And like, how do you, at what point do you know if it's okay for them? Like Sam, did your mom get, or did your parental figure get like frustrated that you're reading them? Was she concerned or were they concerned or was it like, just like a no problem kind of thing? I'm curious how this was handled uh, in your house. uh, uh, Do you want Eden to go first and then I'll. I want you guys to fight to the death. Fight to the death. Let's see what happens. Thank you. Um. Uh. Yeah. I, as you were talking about that, Nicole, about your experience of reading, like rather you would rather watch a movie than read a book. Um, because I'm the opposite. Uh, yeah. Because I I think I'm a very visual person, and so even watching Stranger Things a couple years back, season two, or maybe it was season three. There was a scene in there that like I woke up in the middle of the night and I just saw that in my oh. just like I just saw it in my brain. Yeah, that's scary. Um, which is why I prefer reading because then I don't actually have those images ingrained. It is up to my imagination, but I mm-hmm. won't let my imagination go there, I guess. Um because even like reading, listening to The Shining, I it's like very obviously probably the scariest part of the movie what I would imagine um but yeah it is not sticking with me as much because I don't have something to recall at this moment Mm. it's just more of a feeling rather than a visual so I I think it goes back to like it depends on the kid so like to have a blanket statement to be like kids aren't allowed to watch anything they want they can read whatever they want I mean sure you could impose whatever rules you want for your own family but like even consider the kids and their personalities themselves as you make those rules Mabel is very imaginative my daughter like she can sit and like listen to Peter and the wolf and be like what's happening and even like listening to Peter and the wolf for the first time she heard the French horns and from the other room, you just hear her like, ah, ah, like <laughs> kind Aww. of horrified. Like, okay, so music yeah. is very powerful for her, which actually I think that's what makes me um the movie horror movies really scary for me is the music as well. Yeah. And so it's just like very like I can just feel it in my bones, like something is about to happen. And I think yeah, Mabel at two years old could feel that. So like that's something for me to yeah. keep. As a parent, to be like, oh, okay, um, let's not watch this because this has very scary yeah. music. Yeah, that's smart. And I also think, I think my problem with movies is I'm too aware that they're actors. Like immediately I go into the production of it and I'm like, how did they, like, that's so cheesy. Why did they <laughs> choose? Like the whole time I was watching, um, oh, what's that movie where it's a couple? <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. Mr. and Mrs. They're- Smith. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the whole time I was watching Mr. Smith, <laughs> it's the most important movie I've ever seen. Um, but uh, the whole time I was watching like one very specific horror movie that people love, um, I was just so distracted by the fact that the costume people chose to have them both in turtlenecks, and it just felt like really and like it just felt silly because they were like crawling around in like crawl spaces and I was like they are gonna be so hot that is so dusty and also why is the guy making her do all the work 
Like I was just so distracted by the logistics of it that it didn't like sit in there. Like it didn't, it didn't linger. Whereas the books will linger. And so maybe that's just like, I don't know if I have some sort of complex, but immediately I was like, Oh, how many takes did they do for that? Oh God. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I don't know. I get too distracted and it's probably a coping mechanism where I pull myself out of the story they're telling. And I, like, I just can't get past it. And I'm like, that feels that felt unrealistic, Steven Spielberg. That felt a little too far. <laughs> um, Sam, your experience. Yeah. Was there any like concern What or whereas your mom just like, or your parent, were they just like, just go, just go, go for it, Sam? I think more on the just go for it side but with like a little disapproval. So we had (laughs) odd media standards in our house that was mostly just lack of supervision. So my mom didn't want to buy any goosebumps, even though we had at least one or two floating around the house. Uh, But she didn't mind if I got them from the library or read them at school. Uh But it wasn't because it was like inappropriate. I think it was kind of a satanic panic sort of a thing where she thought if I own goosebumps of course i'm inviting ghosts into my house that's how all mm. supernatural things work obviously uh, but in terms of like media literacy supervision i think i was reading catcher in the rye for the first time like at the same time concurrently almost wow. i remember my my parents being like vaguely disapproving of that also but just going like all right he's got the book can't stop him <laughs> um, so yeah uh, so I read quite a few, but I think there was like a lot of side eyes and my parents still disapprove. Like I tell them, oh, I went and saw Evil Dead Rise or something. And they go, oh, well, I don't know about that. There's <laughs> things that you shouldn't mess with in this world. You know, that sort of a weird attitude. But for the most part, I feel like I was allowed to read or watch pretty much anything. Maybe not watch everything, but also there was lots of like exceptions to, well, you shouldn't watch rated R movies. Except for this one that we really like and think is funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, I was pretty much allowed to self-filter. And I'm a big yeah. believer in that as an adult that kids can just, if they're not into it, they just won't read it. It's fine. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what happened with Eden and I. We were in into mm-hmm. goosebumps and neither of us read it until now. Yeah. But mine was mostly about the branding of it not necessarily about the content whereas I feel like Eden's was mostly the content where I was just like oh that cover might be goosebumps yeah too oozy for me yeah too gooey (laughs) but either way though like we still I don't know I think what the point that you brought up was interesting that um you were allowed to read it if it if it was in the school in the library that like those are important places for kids because I think a lot of parents who are into banning are like, well, um, you can still buy the book. It's fine. But it's like, I don't know any parent that is 100% tuned in on every interest of their child. It's impossible to be. Mm-hmm. And it's not a slam against parents. It's just impossible. And allowing the kid to figure out their, the self-filtering thing is a huge part of development and figuring out what a kid actually likes. And what better place than a library where it's like a literal candy shop of books? <laughs> you know where they can pick and it's and choose. free yeah with very little risk and with help from a librarian and so like it's just yeah I, I'm curious um Eden brought up a good point though before you even came on Sam about Arlstein's master class 
Oh yeah, he does have a master class. Um, it's called R.L. Stein teaches writing for young audiences, and it was just I just watched the trailer for it, but he talks about how writing for like the seven to eleven year olds, um, you have to set up the story in a way that shows the reader that the real that reality cannot interfere so there's no divorce in this area of your imagination there is no death there are there's no losing family members friends whatever and then that's where you can get all the scares out because then you're like oh but what about that clown at the amusement park (laughs) versus teens where you can start to introduce that stuff because teens are starting to be more aware of that reality coming into their lives, into their friends' lives, and then touch on more of the emotional ties with the the horror of life, I guess. Is that interesting that he had like boundaries about how we'd write about stuff, depending on the age group he was writing for? Like it was very intentional and smart. Yeah. And it's the dog dies in this book. And um, that's also why I think it was banned is because the dog dies. Mm. That's my guess. Um, But the parents don't. Like, it doesn't, like, that's as far as it goes. And it's horrifying to think of your pet dying that way. That way, as in by living dead ghoul children. (laughs) Uh, It's cool that he has boundaries with it. Like, it just, he's not just this, like, like, there's an art form to, to spooking a kid. And I think there's probably an awareness also of what you were talking about, Sam, about like the anxiety, that being able to place all your anxiety in a thing is a cathartic thing, helping a kid have some sort of closure and some sort of like just release of all of that. Because yeah, these things aren't real. Like the land of the the city, the town of the living dead is not real. Um, It doesn't touch reality, but um, a kid can put it all there and still move on and live his normal life. You know, they can put the book down and then go about their life and deal with the fact that their parents are getting a divorce or that all these really hard things are happening in their day to day. But they're you know, like, I just think that's an interesting psychological tool that I just never thought about. It's interesting because uh, I was reading a little bit about Robert Lawrence Stein. Or his, his friends affectionately call him Bob. Ew. Okay, but go on. <laughs> but he he started off in humor um and like he wanted to write jokes and stuff like that and apparently he has said I'll, I'll find the source of this quote too but there's one ounce between humor and horror uh which is really interesting and actually I did watch Get Out and Nope and Jordan Peele says something similar Because, like, he has his start in comedy as well, but then he's starting to dive into horror. um, And he said that there's basically two roads diverged in the wood. (laughs) You know, there's, like, the climactic point, and it can turn scary or it can turn funny. And I I know that sometimes when I watch some Key and Peele sketches, it feels, like, on the edge of horror. Then I'm like, yeah. oh no, I think I need to close this out. Like, I don't know if I can take this. Um, I agree. Sometimes it's way too far. <laughs> yeah. But like, that—that that is such an interesting parallel, I guess. Humor and horror. And I guess that's why there's a lot of comedy horror as well. Because it's just like, 
the element of surprise can go either way. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of horror that's like unintentionally comedy where it's like yeah. the effects aren't good or the acting's kind of subpar where you go, okay. Yeah. I, I can't get past <laughs> the fact that this is just a guy from Ohio, you know? Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's interesting. I also love comedy. I think the is very similar and they're both trying to take things that are very familiar and then make them unfamiliar. But I feel like in horror, you're trying to maintain attention, whereas in comedy, you're trying to release it, you know? Yes. Mm. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Um, there's a there's an article called Invasion of the Books that was um, written by the Washington Post about, and it's, an, it's just an interview with Arl Stein, but I'm going to link it because it's really fun. And I think that any of our little listeners or tall listeners will like it. So <laughs> just buckle up for that, listeners. Um, I don't All have right. any other things to say about this. Do you guys? Nope. Well, what are our guesses as why it was banned? I think we touched on, yeah, Yeah, the dogs. I think supernatural occurrences. I Mm. think that's the fear. Yeah, for sure. I think satanic panic. I think you hit it on the nose. You are both correct. (gasps) Well, Nicole, that one's very specific, but... (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the satanic panic and all of that... um, yeah, between 1990 and 1999, books in the Goosebumps children's series made the top 20 lists of most challenged books. Between 2000 and 2009, they made the top 100. The objections came from parents who felt the books were too frightening for kids and or contained satanic and occult themes. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Yeah. That makes hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever we think satanic panic, we get books. Yep. <laughs> I think it's, do you guys think it's coming back? I think that era, I think we're, we're circling back to it. Satanic panic? Yeah, I think so. I think with like the, how we're back to like evangelical Christianity being like really normalized in our politics. I think that satanic panic is going to make a full, a full recovery. I also think there's so many goths in high school now and they're like, not the goth kids that we grew up with. It's like the, like, Like, it's just so normalized. I think, like, the Gen Z people are really leaning in to the goth aesthetic. And I feel like parents are going to freak out. I'm just waiting for that moment for, like, evangelicalism to really stress parents out about their kids wearing black. (laughs) Good times. There's been uh, some good articles about, like, connections between QAnon and Satanic Panic. Oh, for sure. Send them them over. We'll, We'll link it in our show notes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So would we say QAnon is the best horror writer of our time right now? (laughs) Q. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, probably. He really scared a lot of people. Or they scared a lot of people. The entity. Yeah, they scared a lot of people. Um, yeah. Uh I had one more comment. Oh, one more thing about Goosebumps is it is the second best selling series of all time. Whoa. I don't know what is the first, but yeah. And R.L. Stein, probably in the 90s, R.L. Stein was worth over like $41 million because of his books, which is wild to think about. That's a lot of money in the 90s. I know nowadays we're only talking billionaires, but like 
he's probably worth a lot more now, especially with the movies and now that Netflix is doing a series. But uh, yeah, and he was also smart. He just collaborated with everyone. He did a lot of stuff with Nickelodeon. He did a lot of stuff with everybody, just trying to get kids interested and motivate their reading, which was very sweet. Very sweet to think about. Love it. Um, Unproblematic King. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. For yeah, for a kid, for the Stephen King of children's literature. It's also what he's been called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's also been called the training bra for Stephen King. Whoa. <laughs> I love when a man is called a training bra. It's pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty fun. <laughs> okay. I don't have any other thoughts. Do you want to plug anything, Sam? Nah, nothing to plug. Just uh, maybe the concept of ghosts for children. Let the kids have ghosts. Let let them have ghosts. Yeah, I love that energy from you. It's kind of coming out of nowhere, but I like it. What's the context? Did you have a ghost? Oh, no, just, just, you know, I think it's good for kids to have a little bit of whimsy and mysticism (laughs) and real fear of the world around them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i have a funny ghost story okay is this a real ghost story for it is a real ghost sto- okay. story um because uh my my chinese relatives are very superstitious uh to the point where actually i'm also superstitious mm-hmm. but there was one time uh my cousin was in a hotel room and there was someone jumping on her bed and she looked up and she was just trying to like remember uh, a prayer or something or like a evocation of like cease and desist, you know? Yeah, yeah. She was saying it and she was saying it and she's like, oh my gosh, it's not working. Um, She's bilingual. So she was doing this all in English and she's like, wait a second, I'm in Hong Kong. I should speak Cantonese to this ghost. <laughs> so she did the evocation in Cantonese and the ghost stopped. Huh. I like that there's still language barriers in yeah. the supernatural world. <laughs> yeah. But I guess that makes sense. Why would we assume that they all speak all languages? Yeah. Gosh. We are mortals. We're all idiots. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sam, for joining us. Yeah. And uh, thanks. It's been fun. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Seriously, Sam, it's fun to know you're a Goosebumps kid and you're just, you're a lot of kids. You were into all yeah. this stuff. You're reading Catcher in the Rye and I still am. Yes. I'm a lot. I can do it both. <laughs> yeah, I'm a yeah. bag of children. Just <laughs> a... Hi, Mabel. There's a child right there. Oh, there's Mabel. Do you want to say some things about Peter and the Wolf? No. No, I understand that. Okay, okay we'll let you guys go. Scary. Thank you so much. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye. book is produced by us, Nicole O'Corin and Eden Wen. Music written by me, Nicole O'Corin, and produced and performed by my dad, Frank.